Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, welcome to Blue Ridge Church. It's good to have you again today. Special welcome to those of you that are streaming with us online. It's always great when you join us. Listen, if you need another cup of coffee, feel free to get up and get it. Come back in. You're not going to disrupt anybody, but we are glad that you're here. So we're in this series right now called The New Norm. And what we've been discussing in this series is this constant pull, this constant drag to whatever the new normal is, whether we agree with it or align with it, whether we don't agree with it. And often that pull is pulling us away from God. So we've got these battles that we're constantly going through in our lives. So if you were with us the first week, we identified those three enemies that the Bible says every single one of us has. None of us are exempt from these enemies. Uh, Our enemies are ourselves, the world, and Satan. Those are our three main enemies. And so the first week we looked at ourselves and how we are our own worst enemy so many times. And we talked about how once we have Christ, and I know not everybody's there. Some of you still have a lot of questions. You're still investigating the claims of Christ, and that's fine. Keep asking questions. Keep digging. But if you do have a relationship with Christ, you get a new nature. But just because we get that new nature doesn't mean our old nature goes away, right? So our old nature's there as well as our new nature. And we're constantly doing battle with that old nature. And we do so much damage to our lives. And then Matt looked at the second week, those negative emotions that we feel when we're being pulled towards that new normal, whatever it may be, and how we can start to begin to handle those negative emotions. And then he looked last week at how we can actually start to change ourselves to start to win some of these battles that we're inevitably, inevitably going to face in life. It's just a part of life. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at that second enemy. I want to look at the world because that is a big enemy that we have that we're constantly doing battle with. We're battling with culture. We're battling with the world. Often that pull to the new norm is driven by culture or, or cultural differences or changes in our culture. But the truth is we live in a really messed up world, don't we? We live in a broken world. You don't have to look very far to see how broken the world really is. Why is that? Why is life so difficult? Why does life always seem like it's a battle or it's a challenge. Why is it, it seems like every day someone or something's trying to pull me to something that I don't buy, that I don't agree with? Life is just plain outright difficult. And we're not the first ones to wrestle uh, with that, that struggle, that question, why is life so difficult? As a matter of fact, Job summarized in Job chapter 7, verse 1, about life. And, and if you want to follow along with our notes, any week here at Blue Ridge Church, they are available on that Church Center app. We encourage you to download that 
on your phone. You can also check your kids in early. You can get information on groups or volunteering or different things with the church. But if you don't have that app, you can simply open your camera and scan that QR code on the seat backs. Or if you're streaming with us, they'll send you a link to access our notes. But here's what Job said. Job chapter 7, verse 1. Human life is a struggle, isn't it? It's a life sentence to hard labor. I don't think any of us would disagree with that verse. So what makes life so hard? And here's what makes life so hard, and it's learning number one. Our rebellion against God not only broke us, it broke the world. Our sin, our rebellion against God breaks us, but it also broke the world. And we could go back and we could start pointing fingers, right? We could, we could go all the way back to Adam and Eve and point the finger at them. Well, they started this, right? They're the ones that caused the brokenness in the world. But listen, before Adam and Eve chose to sin, they were in paradise, in the Garden of Eden, th- there was no issues, there was no sin, there was no problems, there was no difficulty, there was no pain, no suffering, no jealousy, no greed, bitterness, anger, hatred, racism, whatever. There was none of that. They were living in complete paradise. But they decided, like we often do, that they knew better than God, right? They decided to do what they wanted to do instead of what God wanted them to do, and they chose to rebel. They chose to sin. You know, God said, hey, you can have any of the food from any of these trees. Just don't touch this one tree. What did they do? They, they went to that one tree, right? They thought they knew better than God, and they chose to sin. Now, when you tell people that, and when people start looking at this and studying this, they're like, well, why did God even give them a choice? Why did God even give them the choice to do wrong? Why didn't he take that away. Listen, God gave us free will and choice in this life because I firmly believe without it, there wouldn't be true love. And God wanted Adam and Eve, just like he wants me and wants you to choose to love him, to make the choice to love him, to follow him, to honor him and to obey him. So he gave us free will. And probably the best way to understand it is to think about if you're in a dating relationship, maybe you got a boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe you're married. When your girlfriend chooses to love you, you know it's real, right? Because she's making that choice to love you. You can't force your husband to love you. Or you can't force your wife, to, I command you to love me, right? That's not going to work. But when she chooses to love you or he chooses to love you, you know that it's real. So therefore, we have free will and free choice, and God wants us to choose to love him, but he wants it to be our choice. It wouldn't be real love if he just forced that, well, you're going to love me. So they chose to rebel and to sin. They thought they knew what was going to make them happy, They thought God was keeping something from them, so they chose to sin. And so sin entered the world, and sin broke the world. Here's how it went down. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. 
Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt the shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And we could look at this and say, you know, well, man, shame on Adam and Eve. But not only did Adam and Eve make the choice to rebel against God and to sin, we make that choice every day. I make that choice. You make that choice. We choose when we sin to rebel against God. As a matter of fact, Isaiah said it like this, Isaiah 53, 6. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. I don't think any of us here or watching could deny that, that we've done that. So we've all broken God's laws. We've all done wrong. That's rebellion. And that rebellion brought sin into the world. And it not only broke us, it broke the entire world. Listen to Psalm 32, 5. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. When you look at that verse, that verse is really saying, obviously we can be forgiven, but obviously there's different ways that we rebel, right? First it says, I confessed all my sins. Sin is probably the most obvious way that we go against God and go in a different direction than God wants us to go. Sin is missing the mark, right? It's falling short of what God intends for our life or falling short of God's standard. But then after we sin, what do we do? We start to feel guilty. Then we try to cover up that guilt and pretend like we didn't even sin or we try to hide our sin. And then it talks about our rebellion. That's really direct opposition to God and what God desires for our life. So there, there's multiple ways that we can rebel and sin against God. But the bottom line, what we have to understand is we've all done it. We've all broken God's laws and God's desire for our life. And that's what broke us and what broke the world. That's why things don't work the way they should. That's why things don't turn out the way we want them to turn out. That's why we're constantly battling with this pull to the new norm that's going to pull us away from God because sin broke everything. That's why our marriages are messed up. It's why our friendships are struggling. It's why the relationship with the roommate is having difficulty. That's why our attitudes are out of whack and, the, and we can't get along with the people that we work with because sin broke everything. It broke the world. That's why you have had uh, bad hair days at times, right? It's why you could be working on a term paper and get halfway through and the internet decides to just drop your session and you lose everything that you had. Sin broke everything and nothing works the way it should. Don't you feel better? Your sin caused this? Yeah, I just wanted to build you up a little bit today. But it's true. Our rebellion is what makes life so difficult. Our rebellion is why it seems like everything is literally a battle. And the crazy thing is when we choose to sin, we're choosing to damage our very own lives. Nobody even has to do it for us. We damage ourselves. Think about the poor choices we make 
and we've made in the past. The poor choices I've made, the poor choices you've made, they've caused damage to us, but they've also caused damage to other people, people we've been in relationships with, our kids, our extended family, our spouse, whatever. In the book of Ecclesiastes, which is written by King Solomon, one of the wisest people to ever walk this planet, he mentions some of the aspects of our life that are damaged because of sin. Listen to Ecclesiastes 1, 14 and 15. I observed everything going on under the sun. And really, it's all meaningless, like chasing the wind. What's wrong cannot be made right, and what's missing cannot be recovered. What's he saying? He's saying that pretty much a lot of times life is pointless because of our sin. It's disappointing. It's meaningless. We can't make all the wrongs in our life right. We, we can't change the past. We can't take back some of the hurtful things and the hateful things that we've done or the hateful things that we've said. It's disappointing when you look at life and you look at the impact that our sin has had on life. You know, it's disappointing to think that this is it, too. It's kind of what Solomon is alluding to. Can you imagine if, if you didn't have the hope of Christ, how, how bleak life would be and how discouraging it would be? You think, okay, I, I'm born, I get educated, I graduate, I go to work, I work till I retire, I retire, and then I die. That's it. That'd be pretty discouraging, right? But even with Christ... Even with Christ, when we look at our sin and what it's caused, it can make life pretty discouraging. Let's just admit that. You know, we're not going to be happy and cheerful all the time. Sometimes life is discouraging even when we have the hope of Christ. We look out and we see so much evil. We see death. We see disease. We see all kinds of brokenness. And it can be pretty discouraging. It can sink us into a pretty dark place if we're not careful. Even with the hope of Christ, a lot of things we think, man, that's meaningless. It's pointless. Well, what does that mean? If you're a follower of Christ, that you should just give up, right? Just, just throw in the towel and quit? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, learning number two, we can still do good in the world and make the most of our broken environment. Even though we have to live in a broken world that was broken because of our sin and our rebellion, we can still do good. We can still help people with their problems. We can still minister to people in their time of need. We can walk through pain with others. I see it every day. I talk to people in the church all the time that are, you know, maybe it's somebody in their group or somebody in their ministry and they're, they're walking through difficulty in life with them. So we can do that. And what can we do? We can share the hope that we have in Christ, especially for people who don't know Christ. We can't fix the brokenness of the world, but we can point people to the one who can fix their brokenness in the midst of a broken world. Psalm 42, 11. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God. Soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. 
He is my God. So even though things can look pointless at times and things can, can look meaningless at times because of the brokenness of our world, we can still do good. We still have the hope of God in our life. But one of the results of, of our choice to rebel is we got to live in a broken world. And we still have to accomplish what it is the Lord wants us to accomplish. A- another result of our rebellion and our sin, John 16, 33. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Think about trials and sorrows for a minute. What are some of the trials that we face? Sometimes we face financial trials and relationship trials and marriage trials. We, we face job issues and, and job trials and sickness you know, sorrows and trials, and then there's, there, there's death and all these things. We're going to face trials and sorrows in this life. But the thing is, it's not just us, is it, that's going to face trials and sorrows. The world faces trials and sorrows as well. Why? Because the world's broken. Because of our sin, we broke the world. So not only do we suffer trials and sorrows, the world suffers trials and sorrows. Look, look at the environment, and, and it doesn't matter where you stand on the environment, but the, the environment suffers, right, because of human sin and, and human choices, because the world is under the same curse that we're under. Why? Because of sin. Romans 8, 20 and 21 says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Everything, even on earth, lost its original purpose because of sin. Romans 8.22, For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That means that even the world was damaged because of our poor decisions and our poor choices and our decision to rebel against God. That's why things don't work the way they should. That's why we have evil. That's why we can witness so much evil in the world. It's, it's hard to even process. How can there be this much evil? That's why we question God too. Hey, God, why do you allow that? Why did you allow that to happen? Why didn't you stop this? Listen, it's not as God intended. And we need to understand our rebellion damaged the earth. We got to accept that truth. We caused it because the earth is under the same curse that you and I are under. That's why life is so painful. And that's why life is so difficult. Another result of our rebellion, you know what it is? It's emptiness. We have emptiness in life. Because we're separated from God, because of our sin, we feel empty. We have a void because of our sin. Every single human being has a void in them from God because of their sin, this distance they feel because of our sin. Isaiah 59.2 said it like this, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. And, and how do we handle that emptiness? We all know what this emptiness is. You know, we try to fill it 
All through life, we try to fill that emptiness with anything and everything we can get our hands on or try to fill that void, to fill that emptiness. And until you realize Christ is the only one that fulfills that emptiness and completes that emptiness, we keep trying to fill it with more and more, and it just breaks us down. So emptiness is a result of our rebellion. What about physical death? Physical death is another result of our sin. There was no physical death in the garden until Adam and Eve chose to sin. But now we have to go through physical death. Physical death gets your attention the older you get, right? Especially when you get to my age, physical death will get your attention, Ecclesiastes 8.8, Solomon said this, As no one has the power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. Death is inevitable. We are going to die one day. And I know you're saying, I am so glad I came to church today. He has been nothing but a bundle of encouragement since I got here. I promise I'll turn it around. But the truth is, we need to know that we are going to die. And the truth is, the older you get, you actually realize, I don't want to live here forever. I don't want to live on this broken planet forever. I was talking to uh, some friends at the church that are about my age at a funeral a couple weeks ago. And it's amazing how the older we get, God almost prepares us to leave this earth But the truth is we are declining every single day. Now, when you're young, you don't think you're declining. You young people, you don't think you're declining. You think you're going to live on this earth forever. You know, this is going to be, you know, your home for a long, long time. You think you're invincible. Even when you're young, you don't even show any signs of aging. right? You don't don't show any signs of wrinkling. You don't show any signs of aging. But let me tell you what's going to happen. One day, one day you are going to wake up, you're going to get out of bed like you always do, and you're going to go in the bathroom, and you're going to look in the mirror, and you're going to say, what the heck happened last night? Any, any old person will tell you this. This is what happens. It's just like all of a sudden, it's there. And you're like, I am declining every day. It's a result of our sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. That's that good news, bad news verse in the scripture. The bad news is we have to go through physical death unless, you know, Jesus comes back. But we got to go through physical death. But the good news is we have the promise of eternal life through Christ. We have the hope of Christ. So physical death and emptiness and trials and sorrows, all of these things, the brokenness of the world, it's a result of our sin. And when we come to face-to-face with our sin, not just our personal sin, but if we come face-to-face and realize the reason one of our enemies is of the world is because we broke the world, coming face-to-face with that sin should wake us up. And we should say, man, I I despise sin. The problem is, the world doesn't despise sin, right? The world doesn't grieve when it sins against a loving God. We don't hate our rebellion all the time. 
against a caring, loving God. As a matter of fact, people today, the world today thinks sin is a joke. People think they should be able to do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. People think they're their own God. And so I think the best way for us to come face to face and come to grips really with the magnitude of sin and our sin and what it does is to look at the cross. I think that's the best way to get a perspective on our sin. So learning number three, our sin and rebellion put Jesus on the cross. Jesus had to die for it. He had to die for our sin. God in the flesh had to come to this earth and take care of it. That's how bad our sin is. We put Jesus on the cross because of our sin. That's why we have to have a Savior. And that's why Solomon was saying this is pointless, it's meaningless, because there's no way that you and I can overcome the ill effects of our sin and the damage that we've caused without Christ. There's no way. And again, sin not only destroys the world, it destroys us, destroys our families, it destroys our marriages, it destroys our life as we know it. And I can't imagine going through life carrying the guilt of that sin, knowing you didn't just break you, you broke the entire world. I can't imagine carrying that guilt without having the forgiveness of Christ. That guilt and that shame because of our sin, it's too much for any of us to to bear. So what do we do? We need Jesus. And I know that's the church answer. We need Jesus, but that is always the right answer. The beginning point for anybody, no matter where we're at, is Christ. That's the starting point for everyone. We have to receive forgiveness for our sin and rebellion so that we can live the life Christ intends for us to live even on a broken planet. We can't do it on our own. Jesus is the only one that can help us to start to unravel and to start to undo some of the damage that we've caused. Galatians 5.1 says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. With Christ, we're truly free from the effects of sin. We can overcome the brokenness of the world with Christ. But it's more than just starting a relationship with Christ. It's living for Christ every day. It's constantly following Christ, following his leading, knowing he's got the best plan and the best purpose for our lives, that his path is the best path for us to follow. John 8, 12, Jesus said this. Jesus once again addressed them. I am the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in the darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. What that's saying is if we follow Christ, we won't be destroyed by the ill effects of the broken world that we live in. We'll always have hope. We'll always have the hope of new life. When we don't know what to do in our marriage, when we don't know what to do with our kids, when we don't know how to handle our emotions, when we have difficulty and problems and we face death and and sorrow, conflict and difficulty, when we experience that emptiness inside, 
we need to follow Christ. He's saying he is the light of the world. He's going to show us the path to take. When we walk without Christ, we walk in darkness. When we follow the world's path, eventually all it's going to lead to is darkness. But Christ lights our way. He shows us the path to follow. And when we follow Christ, we're not going to stumble and fall. It'd be like at night trying to drive without lights, without headlights. You might be a good driver, but you're eventually going to run into something. Or if you try to hike a trail at night, you know, it gets really dark in the woods. If you try to hike a trail at night without a flashlight, you're going to eventually run into something. If we try to navigate our lives without the light of Christ, we're eventually going to crash. And the results of the sin in the world and the sin in our lives, it's eventually going to destroy us. It's eventually going to take us out. But with Christ, we have the path before us. And with Christ, we can overcome anything, the sin that we've done, the brokenness that we've caused. We can have a good life while we're here on this earth that's not dark and that's not discouraging despite the sin we see around us and in us all the time. We can win in a broken world when we have Christ. We can be a part of the world without being of the world. And we can still fulfill the plans and the purposes that God's got for us if we have Christ. Colossians 2.8 says this, Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Though our sin and our rebellions destroyed the world, we can have victory with Christ. So let's get practical for a minute. We've talked about the causes of our sin and and how we've broken the world because of our sin and why things don't work the way they should work. And we've looked at some of the consequences of all that sin. What can we do practically to win these battles against the world, the second enemy? And I think the most practical thing we can do is something that we talk about a lot, and that is to practice humility. Maybe some of you have experienced some of the things we've talked about today, that emptiness or those trials and those sorrows or the conflict in the relationship. And I think the best way to overcome a lot of that stuff is to start practicing humility. How do you get humility? I think the best way is to go back to that learning and look at the cross, to look at sin, look at our sin, not your spouse's sin, but your sin, and look at the brokenness in the world and what sin has done to the world. When we can come to grips with the fact that it truly was our sin that broke the world, and it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross, it's going to humble us. When we come to understand the magnitude of our personal sin, it humbles us. And that humility, in turn, from a practical perspective, should transfer into our personal life. We should carry that humility from the realization of our sins into our personal life. Because with humility, we can change anything. We can fix a lot of brokenness when we become humble. Look at a marriage. I've worked with lots and lots of couples over the years. And when both the husband and the wife are humble, they can do anything. 
They can work through anything. But if you've got one spouse that's full of pride and one that's humble, all they do is eventually destroy that relationship till there's nothing left. If we carry humility into the world, I'm telling you, great things can happen. We can fix a lot of the brokenness. How would your extended family look if everybody was humble? It's pretty hard to imagine, isn't it? But just imagine if your entire family was humble, how that would look. Think about how much of the brokenness of the world would just go out the window if we were humble. How would your office look? Or or where you used to work or where you're starting to work? How would that place look if everybody in there was humble? What if every customer that came in the door to buy something was humble? It changes everything. So this week, from a practical perspective, okay, we're going to own that we broke ourselves and we broke the world because of our rebellion against God and our sin. But this week, let's practice some humility to help to overcome some of that brokenness in the world. Let's pray together. God, you know, we look at this world and like Solomon said, a lot of times it's disappointing. It's just pointless. It's, it's meaningless when we look at all the sin and all the brokenness in the world. But God, you've got us here for a reason. First and foremost, you want us to love you, to make that choice ourselves. Lord, help us this week to practice humility. Even if it's really hard for us to at least one time this week to be humble, to humble ourselves, because you call us to be humble. You say you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. Help us to practice humility in our marriages, in our dating relationships, in our roommate situations, in our friendships, and those we work with and those we play sports with. Help us to be the one that's humble, to start to fix some of the brokenness in this world. God, we are humbled when we come face to face with our sin and the damage we've really done. But God, we're also humbled to think that you love us. Despite our sin and our shortcomings, you love us unconditionally. Lord, thank you for never giving up on any of us. And that my prayer today, Lord, would be that those that don't know you, that those that still have a lot of questions, those that are still searching and trying to fill that emptiness with what the world offers, Lord, I would pray you would never give up on them. No matter how bad or good from a human perspective we rate them, that you would never give up on them, that you would continue to call them until they surrender to you. Help us this week to practice humility. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just uh, one thing before you leave, next Sunday at 4 o'clock, our women's uh, group, growth group, is going to, uh, prayer group is going to be praying for all of our schools in the area. And I want to encourage you, you're welcome to join them here at 4 uh, in prayer to pray for our schools. Or just set a reminder on your phone right now, 4 o'clock next Sunday, uh, if you can't be here to, to join that group as they pray for all our schools. Pretty cool thing. Uh, that they're doing. And that thing is nationwide 
as well, to pray for our kids, our teachers, our schools. So I encourage you to be a part of that. So if you didn't get a chance to fill out one of those electronic connection cards, you can access it from that QR code. Uh, tell us what's going on. If you've got prayer requests, need more information, whatever, uh, feel free to fill that out. If you're worshiping through generosity, you can do that online. That helps us so much, or you can use the black boxes in the back. But I hope you have a great afternoon. It's going to be like 86 degrees, so don't stay inside and watch football, all right? Take your television outside and watch football. God bless you guys. Have a great week.